Thank you, Jesus. Lord God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that what you did on that cross to set us free. And today as we sing grace to grace, we're so thankful for what you've done for us. We're so thankful, Jesus. Thank you, God. Brendan Buckley, I was um, praying about you just over there before, and I believe God has got something amazing for you coming up. And um, you've got dreams in your heart. You've got your own desires. But I believe God has got his desire for you, and he's going to show you that. And just believe it, trust him, love him, and let him guide you. And he's going to do something great with your life, Brent. I really believe it. Amen. Johanna. Johanna. I know you've done ministry before, but I also believe that you're going to do it again. And ministry is not just, you know, what we do on a platform. So it might not be what it was, but I believe God has put a dream in your heart, a desire in your heart. He's got gifts in your life. And God is going to reveal something to you on what you're going to do in ministry again. Believe it. I was looking at you over there in worship, and I believe it's not over. That's the word today. It's not over. It's not done. You're not done. What God wants you to do, you're not done. Amen. 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 So good. So good. How good is God? Who loves God here today? If you don't love God here, well, you're going to love God when you finish at the end of the service today. Why don't you be seated? Be seated. Well, Ben and I over the next over these last couple of weeks, we're doing a little series on the gift, and today I'm going to talk about the gift of grace. So we sang that song, "Grace to Grace," and we're going to talk today about God's grace, about how good He is for us, and just going off. Uh, just changing tact a bit here, um, Christmas under the stars, next Saturday. I echo what Ben was saying, and we're believing for rain, absolutely. The fires are crazy, and the drought is next level. But just for a couple of hours, Jesus, <laughs> a few hours, just even if it's just Mount Riff, just shine the light of the sun down on us with no clouds, um, and then it can rain all at once from then on. But um, really believing that next Saturday night's going to be amazing. You know, last year we, we, we planned it out and we went to do it and it obviously rained that day and we did it here in the church. And to tell you tell the truth, I was overwhelmed with how many people came inside um, last, last year. And I believe that even already on our Facebook event that we've set up, it's more than double the people saying they're going than it was last year. We probably had about six or 700 last year. It's more than double. I don't know if that's anything to go on. But I'm just believing that God's going to bring community in and we get to um, preach Jesus in a way that they understand through the nativity. And how cool is that? What a great thing we get to do in Australia. We get to do that. And people come to it. And so let's not take it for granted. So um, let's Saturday night. If you don't, don't have anything planned, come along. Bring your friends. Bring your family. It's going to be such a good night. Such a good night. Who loves Christmas shopping? Well, I don't do any of it. Al does it clearly, as she's already told you. Um, nearly got arrested last year. <laughs> stealing from Woolworths. <laughs> it's easy to do, isn't it? But you just Christmas time is sometimes so chaotic. You go to the plaza 
and people envy it. They want to go. They want to go shopping, but at the same time, it's an, it's an envious occasion because you don't want to go through the traffic. You don't want to line up in the target line that's like a million miles long. And there's, there's so many things about Christmas shopping that can be such a challenge sometimes. The roads. Who likes travelling at Christmas time? Australians at their best love a bit of road rage, love a bit of, you know, riding up someone's backside when they're driving. Uh, yesterday I came back from Coffs Harbour, I was up there for a night, and um, leaving Coffs Harbour, it's so beautiful, and the road's been done, it's all brand new, and it's such a nice drive, and then you get to Newcastle, a few more cars come along, cars come along, everyone's out for their Saturday drive, and then you get to the Central Coast, it gets a bit more, a few more cars, and then everyone starts tailgating. Have you noticed that? I think that's the worst road in New South Wales, the M1 between Sydney and Newcastle, I believe. When I've driven out west, they're all lovely out west and they're, they're nice generally. But I found that road to be crazy. Everyone's like, just in a hurry. Quick, 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 let's get into Sydney. And sometimes our life can be like that. It's so chaotic and we're just running and running and running. Shopping, shopping. Christmas time can be so chaotic. And then we miss the real reason we're celebrating Christmas. And us as Christians should know better and should be loving of people at this time of year. So number one I want to talk about today is the gift of grace towards others. The gift of grace towards others. You know, like I just said, we don't often see that these days. You know, people would say, back in my day in the country town, everyone knew each other, everyone would say day down the street. <laughs> you know, g'day mate, how you going? And nowadays it just doesn't happen. And they just, people just ignore as you walk past. And I was thinking, why is that the case? Why is that the case? And I think us as the church can do a better job at that. So let's look at scripture today, John chapter 8 from verse 1. This is actually one of my favourite scriptures in the whole Bible. Jesus walked up to the Mount of Olives near the city where he spent the night. Then at dawn, Jesus appeared in the temple courts again. And soon all the people gathered around to listen to his words. So he sat down and taught them. Then in the middle of his teaching, the religious scholars and the Pharisees broke through the crowd and brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery and made her stand in the middle of everyone. Okay, let's think about that today. Imagine if someone brought someone through these doors here, brought them to the front row and said, look at their sin. Look what they have done. Jesus, what are you going to do about that? And they said to Jesus, teacher, we caught this woman in the very act of adultery. Doesn't Moses' law command us to stone a woman like this? Tell us, what do you say we should do with her? They're only testing Jesus because they hope to trap him with his own words and accuse him of breaking the laws of Moses. I love this. But Jesus didn't answer them. Instead, he simply bent down and wrote in the dust with his finger. Angry, they kept insisting that he answer their question. So Jesus stood up and looked at them and said, Let's have the man who has never had a sinful desire throw the first stone at her. And then he bent over again and wrote some more words in the dust. Upon hearing that, her accusers slowly left the crowd one at a time, beginning with the oldest to the youngest, with a convicted conscience. Until finally Jesus was left alone with the woman still standing there in front of him. So he stood back up and said to her, Dear woman, where are your accusers? Is there no one here to condemn you? 
Looking around, she replied, I see no one, Lord. And Jesus said, then I certainly don't condemn you either. Go and from now on, be free from a life of sin. So powerful, that scripture, that he doesn't condemn the woman. The law of Moses was exactly that. If a woman got caught in the act of adultery, they got stoned to death. That was the law of Moses at the time. And Jesus ignored that and said, I do not condemn you. So Deuteronomy chapter 22 says this, if a, man is found, if, a, if a man is found sleeping with another man's wife, both the man who slept with her and the woman must die. That was the law. That was the law. If a man happens to meet in a town of a virgin pledged to be married and he sleeps with her, you shall take both of them to the gate of that town and stone them to death. The young woman, because she was in a town and did not scream for help, and the man, because he violated another man's wife, you must purge the evil from among you. That's the law the Pharisees were talking about. And Jesus ignored it. See, grace towards others is not just being nice. It's also not having a Pharisee spirit. So today I'm going to give you eight things on what a Pharisee spirit is. How we can easily slip into these as Christians. Number one. A Pharisee spent more time fo focusing on what they hated rather than on what they love. They claimed to have loved God, but clearly they didn't show it. How often do we see that today, guys? As Christians, some, you hear Christians are sometimes the worst at it. But they don't love people for where they're at, faults and all. I've come to revelation that you can't love Jesus and not love people. It's just not possible. If you read the stories of Jesus here, he loves people first. And then he tells them a commandment. You tell, see that with the woman? He, told her, he loved her first and then he said, now go and sin no more. And I think as Christians, that's something, a model we need to look at. How about we love first and then disciple? rather than disciple first and then we'll love them for the way they're acting now because they're all clear of sin. They're all, they're all nice how we like them. Hey? Number two, a Pharisee magnified the sins of others while ignoring their own. So let's not point the finger at others. You know, when I was in school, you know, a little, uh, when I was like year two, year three, we used to dob on each other. You know, someone did the wrong thing. You quickly run up to the teacher and say, Miss, 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 or Mister, like, this kid, he did this, he did this, I saw him do it. It might not have had nothing to do with me, but we saw it happen. So we felt um, compelled to dob on them. And sometimes as Christians, we can be like that. We have a dobbing spirit. We, some of us do. And I have too at times where we've gone, look what they have done. Look what they are doing. I can't believe they are doing that. Number three, a Pharisee spread accusations against others without ever going to them directly. Something that you would insist on if it was you that was being talked about. Matthew 7 and verse 12, in everything you do, be careful to treat others in the same way you'd want them to treat you. So we're treating people how we would like to be treated. I don't know about you, but if... If I ever had a sin and I got dragged in and put in front and centre and it got exposed, and how would you like that? Would you like that? No, I wouldn't like that. You wouldn't like that. 
And that's what the Pharisee spirit does. It drags people in front and says, look what they are doing. Look what they are doing wrong. And meantime, we're missing out on what they actually got wrong in their own hearts. Number four, a Pharisee is quick to pass judgment, but slow to inquire and listen to those they're judging. That's why so many people don't come to church, if I'm honest. Many Christians are unfortunately so judgmental that people don't feel comfortable walking into these doors. Jesus loved non-believers, and I believe so should we. Have you ever wondered why some people are so much more comfortable at the pub with friends than here at church? Have we wondered why that is? I think about that all the time because I don't want that to be the case. This should be the most loving place in the whole earth, not the pub. This place right here. And unfortunately, sometimes it's not. And we need to learn as Christians, how do we treat others who are non-believers? Are we loving first? Loving them for who they are? The drunkenness, the drug taking, the swearing, the stuff they watch on TV. Do we care about that so much that we can't connect? Let's just love them for who they are. Love them for who they are. Number five. A Pharisee could never admit they're wrong or apologise to those they've mistreated. Who finds it easy to say sorry here? A few people. Some people find it hard? Yeah. Well, it depends on what it is, I suppose, but if you believe you're right or not. But in marriage, I think what Al and I have learnt is it's better to say sorry than let it linger forever. I can be a bit of a, um, I'm being really open and honest today, I can be kind of like, I'm hanging on to this, like, no, like, you did something wrong and no, 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 you're not getting away with this. (laughs) I won't talk to you, cold shoulder, I'm just revealing some of my humanness here today. And then I have to get the courage up to be like, all right, I'm going to be the bigger person here <laughs> and say sorry. <laughs> because obviously, and Al has a bit of Dutch in her. I've got a bit of Dutch. So we're both stubborn mules. <laughs> we're both stubborn. So someone has to crack at some point and apologise. <laughs> so you're quick to say Sorry. One thing I I struggle with is people who can't say sorry or admit their mistakes. You know, I hope that I'm getting better at doing that. But it's it's better just to be quick to say sorry and just say, look, I messed up, I made a mistake, I'm sorry, and let's move on. I believe, like, as Christians, we need to be better at that. I know I do. I just shared a story, a really honest story. I need to be better at that. Number six... A Pharisee only hung out with other Pharisees. So get out of the Christian bubble and spend some time with non-Christians. You know, I, um, I might have a pastor's title, but sometimes I have the best fun when I'm hanging around people who get drunk. <laughs> Just being honest. Because they're, they're loving, they don't care what you've done, they hug you, they kiss you. In my family, I'm probably one of the only Christians in my whole family on my side. So all our family events are parties. The Aussie way of doing a party. A lot of beer, a lot of wine, 
a lot of yay at the end. And then we're left at the end just having to have a normal conversation and they're just high as a kite. Not on drugs, just on alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> but the, in me, I actually enjoy that. And you might say, well, you're a bit weird. You should, you should be a Christian. I'm not doing that. But I enjoy being around people like that because I realise I'm in the space where I should be in. Yeah. I'm not in the Christian bubble. I'm not just hanging out with pastors, friends, or, or people in the church. I actually enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's looking at me weird today. But I do because we're out of this bubble of church and our Christian little world that we get so caught up in. And a Pharisee spirit does that. Have you ever been to a kid's playground and you see the helicopter parent who the kid is on the slippery dip and they will not let go of their hand, right? As you've seen it, right? I, I'm half-half, if I'm honest. I get a bit nervous when I see my kids up on equipment. I'm like, oh, my gosh, do not fall down. Please don't. I get really nervous. I just turn away. So I'm half-half. <laughs> half-half. <laughs> but you see, some parents who are, they call, you know, have, has anyone heard that saying, helicopter parenting? Where there has to be a middle ground somewhere, right? Where we want to look after our kids. You don't just let them go run on the streets. But there's also a balance. Where I grew up, where I went into the bush when I was, you know, 8, 9, 10, and explored the bush and no mobile phone, just on a bike, told to come back by dark. That's, that's where I grew up. And now even I'm finding me as a parent, I'm like, I've got to get him a phone so when he gets old enough to go out by himself, he's got something to call me. I found I'm getting like that too. And I think as Christians, we can't be bubble-wrapped, where it's like perfect little world, everything's nice and neat, no one's sinning, no one's doing the wrong thing, everything's just right, no one can hurt me, no one can say anything bad, no one can swear in front of me, oh my gosh. (laughs) So let's not be overprotecting Christians. Amen? Number eight, a Pharisee cannot tolerate correction, even when it's given in the spirit of Christ. How do you tolerate correction? How do I tolerate correction? It's a good question to ask. I hope that I'm open enough and humble enough to let someone I trust, number one, someone I trust, speak into my life. So who do you have that you trust that can speak into your life? Let's not have a Pharisee spirit where we're out on our own. Point two, the gift of grace that Jesus taught. We talked a bit about the law. Moses was given the law and he was asked to go meet the Lord on the mountain. And in early Old Testament times, no one would meet with God except the leader. So Moses would go and meet with God and come back and tell the people what God said. So let's read in Exodus 24. Then the Lord said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. You are to worship at a distance, but Moses alone is to approach the Lord. The others must not come near, and the people may not come up with you. When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice, Everything the Lord has said to you, we will do. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. He got up early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. 
Then he sent young Israelite men, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and put it in bowls, and the other half he splashed against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, We will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. All right, let's put this into context. What happens if Ben was the only one who could speak to God in our church? And he had to go to Katoomba up the mountain to meet him. And we'd all wait here for him to come back to tell us what the Lord has said. That was the law in the Old Testament. Aren't you glad that Jesus has come, that we can all meet with God? We can all have the Holy Spirit. We can all have our own connection with Jesus. That we're not relying on the law or the leader who's the appointed person who can hear from God. I'm so thankful that Jesus did that for us. In the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20 verse 2, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third, fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day for keeping it holy. Six days you shall labour and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son, your daughter, nor male or your female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy." Neither your father and your mother, so that you may live in the long land that the Lord is giving you. Thou shalt not murder, shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, and you shall not give false testimony against your neighbour. You shall not covet your neighbour's house, you shall not covet your neighbour's wife, or his male or female servant, his ox, his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbour. Okay, who's broken those? <laughs> so we can't live under the law. None of us can. Live under the law. See, this is set up. I'm not saying that we go and do whatever we want. Absolutely not. But Jesus came to break the law. He came to break the law of sin of man. And now we get to live in freedom. Amen? So if you accidentally break one of these, not that we want to, but if you do, his grace is sufficient for you. His grace is all you need. His grace is all you need. I don't want to go out and murder. I don't want to go out and commit adultery. I don't want to steal. I don't want to give a false testimony against my neighbour. But what happens if someone does? Do we have grace for them? There's grace for me and you under the name of Jesus. Amen? John 1, 17 says, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So the law was given. But now we have grace and truth. Amen? Are you guys happy about that? We're free from the law. We no longer have to live all contained and I must do the right thing, otherwise I'm not going to heaven. That is not true. You could have a sinful life and give your life to Jesus on your deathbed and go to heaven. Absolutely believe it. Absolutely believe that. 
Do you have grace for yourself too? Romans 10.4, Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for anyone who believes. He's the culmination of the law. Culmination. He's the finishing. He finishes the law. You see, Jesus didn't die for us so we could go do what we wanted. He died for us to live a life of devotion to him. You see, Moses' law was humans trying to work out how to earn closest to God. Jesus came so we can live close to him and our failings are all washed clean. Culmination means to end at or arrive at a final stage. So he finished it. He finished it. Jesus finished it on that cross. You know, (laughs) when I was growing up, Mum and Dad were very graceful to me. I was, a, I was a bit of a wild child. I liked escaping and going through the bush and exploring and not telling them. And um, the police were called a couple of times to come looking for me. I would terrorise my two sisters. We had this homemade billy cart that I used to put my sister in. <laughs> put my sister in at the back and give it the biggest push I could and see how far she could go. And I tried to get my mum to get me a photo, she took a photo, but my sister's hair got caught in the wheel. So as I pushed it, it went like that, and she screamed like crazy and they had to cut half her hair off. And all the rust marks were on her blonde hair. But anyway. <laughs> so I grew up with a lot of grace from my parents. A lot of grace. I put so many holes in the back wall of our home with golf balls and cricket balls and whatever other ball was in the backyard. There'd be a hole in the back of the house from me hitting it into the house. And I think we have to learn that as a grace as a parent has for their children. We need to learn that as Christians. Have grace. If you're a parent here today, have grace for your kids. Have grace for your kids, for others. John 5, 24. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. Verse 24 in the Passion Translation says, I speak to you in eternal truth. If you embrace my message and believe the one who sent me, you will never face condemnation. For in me you have already passed from the realm of death into the realm of eternal life. Amen. Amen. So the cross has bared our burdens. He's forgiven us. He's forgiven you and me. Amen. Number three, the gift of grace for you and I. So learn about the gift of grace for others, the gift of grace that Jesus taught, and the gift of grace for you and I. I have... um, I like telling stories about my business because I feel like I get to meet people who are like not Christians and um, just out in the, in the mountains area. So I went to this person's house in the mid-mountains and I was in a bit of a hurry. So she's like, can you put a TV point down here? And I said, oh, okay, yeah, no worries. And it was like late and I, was, I, had, I had done about four jobs that day so I thought I'll just quickly do it. So I'm rushing, which I can do sometimes. And I got my drill out and I went to drill the point into the wall, just a Phillips head bit on the drill, and I went too fast and it slipped and I drilled my hand. And it wasn't bad, like it didn't make a hole, it just was like one of those moments where you're like, oh, that would really, really hurt. 
So something came out of my mouth, which I really regret. <laughs> and I can't repeat it here. But something came out. In the moment, frustration, pain, bang. I said something bad. And then I was, realised the lady was not that far from me. And then she goes, hey, you look familiar. <laughs> and my heart sank. I'm like, oh, she could know me from like when I was a kid. Like I used to do stuff in the upper mountains. It, it might not be church. Like I'm just, I just thought worst case, right? So then I just did the job and did it and all that. And she goes, I just can't get over where I know you from. I just know you from somewhere. I'm going, oh, Jesus, help me. Please. Please. Um, was it on Facebook? And I'm like, oh, the live stream. Oh, no. Oh, no. So it's all just starting to sink in. Uh, then I left it, and a couple of weeks later, I'm like, oh, well, she might have known me from somewhere else, whatever. Then one day, I'm leading worship here, and guess who walks through the back doors? <laughs> and I, then again, I'm singing, and I look out, and I'm like, oh, no. That's, that's where she remembered me from. That's where she remembered me from. And at the end, I was like, hey, how you going? And she's, How's your TV going? Is it working all right? She's like, yeah, it's cool. And then she's like, I knew it was you. <laughs> And that day, this is not a joke, that day, Ben, I had just got my ordination certificate, OMC, and Ben goes, Tim, he's on staff here, he's amazing, he's just got his pastor's certificate. And I'm in the front row going, Penny, just be quiet, please. I'm dying on the inside. <laughs> and at the end, I was like, I just didn't say anything, I was like, hey, good to see you, so good to see you here. And I just realised in that moment that God has grace for you and I. Yeah. That was a wake-up moment for me. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. In your weakness, his grace is best. In your weakness, let that sink in for a sec. Not your good Christian life, not your walking to church and everything's rosy. In your weakness, his grace is best. It's all you need. So if you're struggling today, and I can guarantee there's so many people struggling with a lot of different things today, including myself, there is forgiveness and there's grace for you today, no matter what it is. His charest gift which means his gift of grace, let it take over you. Let it rest on you. You can't earn it. You can't. It just happens. He has it for you. Weakness provides the opportunity for God to show his power. So when you, you and I go through stuff, let his grace take over. Was I embarrassed I said something I shouldn't have and then she came to church? Yes. But at the end of the day, I'm only human. You're only human. We all have our weaknesses. We all have our faults. Let his grace take over you. I love in the scripture here where he says, go and sin no more. So it doesn't mean we have grace to do whatever we want. It doesn't mean we have grace to just live our life and, and squander money and commit adultery and murder. It doesn't mean we go and do that. But it means when we fail, his grace is there. It's there for us. Matthew 5, 27 your ancestors have been taught, never commit adultery. However, 
I say to you, if you look with lust in your eyes at the body of a woman who is not your wife, you've already committed adultery in your heart. Well, that wipes off nearly every male on the planet. Bang. (laughs) Everyone's committed adultery. Let's just settle it right there. So his grace is so good for us. Jesus has given us, his followers, a superior way to live than just the Ten Commandments. It's a superior version of all that God expects and provides for those who come close to him. It's his grace, his goodness, his love, his mercy, his forgiveness comes to us. Jesus gives us more than just laws. He gives us promises of power to fulfill all that he asks of us. So the emphasis today is not on our outward actions but our inward desire to love him and to worship him. I can guarantee that when you start loving Jesus with a passion in your heart, you don't want to do the wrong thing. You don't want to go out and do the wrong thing because you love him and he loves you and you know his love for you. Amen. Let's stand as the team come up. And I want to pray for some people today. We've got a little bit of time and I want to pray that if you have struggled with God's grace, understanding God's grace, I want to pray for you today. If you struggle with his forgiveness and actually just thinking about that going, I'm not a good person. How can God forgive someone like me? I can tell you he's forgiven you. He's done it. It was done on the cross 2,000 years ago. He's forgiven you. There's nothing new under the sun and there's nothing that he has seen that surprises him. Nothing. He has it. And his grace is sufficient for you. So we're going to sing this song, Grace to Grace. And if you want to today, or even if you don't want to walk out physically, but in your heart, just let his grace flow over you today. Amen? Let his grace be upon you today. There's power when you're the weakest. His power is the strongest at your weakest point. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. We thank you, God, for your grace. We thank you, Jesus, that you don't require us to be perfect. You just want us to love you. And we thank you, God, for what you did on that cross. You've set us free, God. You've made us new. You've forgiven us. We thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Why don't you come? We'll pray for you today. Thank you, God.